This is the Shift Podcast. And it's been Bruce Claggett in for Shane Hewitt on today's podcast. When you're at the grocery store looking at a healthy treat, how do you choose the right snack? If you rely on packaging for your information, you may want to think again. Rebecca Thushner, professor of free speech at Harvard Law, explains how the products can make some claims that are not always what they seem to be. Have you ever wondered just how real reality TV shows are? Betty Pavel, house guest on season four of Big Brother Canada, takes us through what actually goes on behind the scenes and just how much creative influence production has on the final outcome. Imagine Google Maps, but with a twist of augmented reality and user interaction. Mix it all together and you have the app Driftscape. The app's co-founder tells us how we can make our next Canadian vacation as authentic as possible. This is the Shift Podcast. And I am Bruce Claggett, in for Shane Hewitt. And thanks to the magic of radio, we are never too far away from Shane. And we are able to include him tonight as he takes a look at a free app that allows one to take an authentic look at a, you know, a Canadian experience. Here's a little bit more from Shane. Here in The Shift, we often talk about where do you want to go? What do you want to do? I don't know about you, but... I, I, I've always hated these super touristy attractions where you jump on the bus and then you drive down the road and they're like, on the right, this is where Bob built a house. I always found that cheesy. But then if you go to places you've never been before and you don't have family there that can give you the personalized tour, how else are you going to learn how important that that pub is or that building is or the, the legit stuff? That's where we're going to start a conversation about augmented reality technology and a group called Driftscape, which is a really cool name. I just think it's a cool name. Our guest right now is Dan Proneval, and Dan joins us here as one of the founders of the group. And, um, you know, we're going to nerd out a little bit. Hey, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Thank you for having me. So I'm going to let you describe Driftscape because I don't want to get it wrong and I don't want to misrepresent it because I have a million questions that I'm excited to ask. <laughs> Absolutely. <clears throat> so I'll, I'll describe Driftscape in uh, two ways. I'll describe it from our customer's point of view and then the end user's point of view, person like you who wants to explore and discover. From our customer's point of view, which is mainly destinations, municipalities, outdoor organizations, festivals, events, things like that, it's a tool. It's a digital discovery tourism tool. So it lets them tell their stories their way without interference of ads, all the way to the user's phone, into their website. And it's a rich storytelling environment um, that they use our product so they can tell it without interference of ads and other social media stuff. From a user's perspective, it's a free app. Just download it. It has absolutely no ads in it ever, of course, uh, because we don't monetize people's eyeballs. It's also a web plugin. Could be on our customers' websites, can stand alone, so you don't have to use your phone to necessarily use the app. And it's just a great way to explore, either as a curious local or a tourist wanting to visit and discover the stuff, as you said, Shane, that is unique and different and eclectic because you're getting the expert stories on a geography or a region from the experts themselves. So, Dan, where's one place that you've never been that you, it's on your bucket list of things to go? <laughs> I love to get up to the Yukon, some of the great northern rivers in uh, Northwest Territories, right. like the Nunakani. I'm a big canoeist and outdoor fan. Um, I love seeing some of the stories of the great north in Canada. 
that are on our platform and it really inspires me to get up there. I, I would love to be able to do a canoe trip in the great great northern territories. That's amazing. So I have a buddy, his name's Gurdip. He's up there. He'd uh, give us a tour. But it's on our trip. So say you come to Calgary, we're leaving Calgary. Off we go. We hit the car. We're going to drive through BC. We're going to go to the Yukon, Dan and Shane's road trip. So how does yeah. uh, how does Driftscape work for us? Uh, what can we look forward to that app in that scenario, driving to the Yukon? What kind of things would we be able to use it for on that trip that you and I want to go on? Oh, that's a cool, cool approach to it. So yes, uh, Driftscape is a great way to explore as you're traveling on a road trip even. So for example, in a case like that, maybe when we're planning for a trip before our leave, we're like, yeah, yeah, we've done a Google search and we know that the, the standard regular things, but you know, what about that community there that we're going to drive through? I wonder what's really cool that that community appreciates. And you open Driftscape, you open the map and you might say, oh, wow, they're a customer of Driftscape and they have cool content in there. And you might discover they have a very unique inn or historic site that you didn't know about. Or you might say, for example, one of our many, many partners that use Driftscape is Historica, the original creators creators of the Heritage Minutes that we all used to love and know on TV and are still very popular. You might run into one and go, oh, that's cool. Let's watch that and maybe drive by the site. That's Can you put a here. sound effect of a loon in there somewhere, too, so it's really <laughs> authentic? <laughs> exactly. I always like to remember the one that was in Montreal that uh, that uh, brain surgeon's fiddling around with someone's head and uh, the woman says, I smell burnt toast. Yep. Um, that is actually one of the points of interest in our app. Oh, wow. That's that fascinating. fascinating. For, for example, yeah. one of our many partners. But So a tour up north, it, it lets you be able to really just plan and, and see some cool things. You, For example, you might want to stop one day for lunch or something. Go, oh, there's a cool self-guided audio tour in this town that might explore a park or their downtown or some heritage aspect. It's like, yeah, this is only going to take 10 minutes. We don't have to stop at a visitor center. Just open the app, start the tour, play the audio, put it back in your pocket, walk around. It'll even change the audio as you go from stop to stop. It tells you where to go and everything. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I hold it up. Okay. A couple of questions. I want to get this right into everybody's lap. So Google did a really terrible job uh, at one point doing like inside map tours of like restaurants and you could yeah. basically go down their street view and then you get to the restaurant, you could click in the restaurant, then you could go look around the restaurant and that was it. You'd see the pictures. Fundamentally, it was no different than the photos that they already had in their photo gallery on the website. Right. But they tried and it really didn't work out very well. I'm sure some people have had some success. Good for you. I didn't never find it useful. The not to mention by the time you go, guess who renovated. Right. Um, so, but in this case, I'm holding up my phone. Like, is it like Pokemon go like a, the AR style looking around and then I see an item and I'm like, Ooh, that old church touch the item, whatever, something like that, where then the story comes up about that church or what happened here. And those kinds of things I can learn that way. Is that what it sounds like? Absolutely. That's one of the ways to explore. <clears throat> we call that our augmented reality mode or AR mode. And that's exactly what you said. So hold up your phone and you'll see as you pan your phone around the markers, um, they'll change shape or in size, actually, depending on how close you are. So you're going to go, oh, what's that one? You know, you walk up to it and it gets bigger and you can tap on it. And then when you're there, you can actually explore and read more, watch a video, play the audio. So absolutely, uh, AR mode is meant for on-site usage. But we really wanted to make sure that Jerscape is more than just a, a great discovery tool when you're there, but also when you're not there, maybe to entice you to come. So it's it's actually the same data in the in the 2D map mode. We have a list mode as well, where you can just 
make a big list of all the points of interest. So it's uh, you can do any of those. Um, it's also true that in our augmented reality mode, we do have gamification. So you can play games. You can do what we call quests. So it says, you know, oh, you're getting close. You're getting close. It's going to show up soon. Tur- pan around. Oh, ah, nice. There it is. Cool. And, you know, you would click on that one and then you'd read a little bit about a clue for the next stop. And then you have to go, oh, yeah, it's by the church down the street. OK, I think I know where that is and so on. So augmented reality is a very popular feature in our app. It's, you know, a big ticket thing. People are always very excited about it. It's an area that we are continuing to explore to add more and more functionality. Um, uh, people want more stuff for, for augmented reality and for virtual mm-hmm. virtual reality as well. But we don't constrain the user. Like You can use it at home to explore just as well. For example, um, one of our partners, uh, Buxton Museum, which uh, uh, they celebrate and explore uh, the Underground Railroad into Canada and the history of that, and they have a museum. They have these amazing 3D tours. So they're in our Driftscape app, you're learning some, and then there's a, you know, you get inside at one of their museum buildings, tap a button, and immediately you're shifted into uh, an augmented reality view as if you were there. And you can navigate into their museum, click on exhibits, learn about exhibits, and get a sense of what it's like before you arrive, all within Driftscape. So that's another way you can explore within Driftscape as well. Very cool. Now, you did say canoe trips. Can you do it offline? Because I'm self-service in a canoe in the Yukon. It's kind of crappy. Uh, yeah, that's that's a really good question. It's it's interesting. A few years ago, I think it was uh, maybe two and a half, three years ago, um, one of our new customers in Manitoba, Interlake, Manitoba, which has been on the platform for the longest of times and wonderful customer, they service uh, north of Winnipeg. So a lot of rural areas. And this was the same question you just asked. It's like, we don't have a lot of internet in a lot of areas and we want to promote our parks and a lot of outdoor places. And so I said, huh, well, that's a, an interesting point. I hadn't thought of that. So we actually implemented what we call save for offline. And it's as easy as you're at home, you get the map. You're like, yeah, the stuff on this map is the stuff I want to view offline. You click the save for offline it runs for a, a minute or two, depends how much data it, it is. And it actually downloads everything to your phone so that when you're out in the wild, it's as if you had the full internet there on your phone and can explore the content that you said I want to see. Fascinating. This is cool stuff. What are you most excited about here, Dan? I mean, you've got the business. So we can talk about all the business things. But when it comes down to looking at this, I mean, what what makes you most excited about that? Is it the human connection part? Because, I mean, maps are maps. Tour guides are tour guides. Pamphlets are pamphlets. If we really wanted to, you know, get the info and go give it a shot, we can all go give it a shot. To me, the most yeah. exciting thing here, though, is that connection part, right? It's that guided piece of learning. And I was on a bus. I went from Dublin to Galway. We went to the Cliffs of Moher. And the guy sitting at the front of the bus, he would still get excited when we'd come around the corner and he'd stand up quickly like, oh, oh, look, look, look. I went to a party there and that is an old castle and this is what happened and that's how old the castle is. You know, that connection part is, well, that's what I remember about the trip. So there's your point. What are you most excited about? Yeah, I 100% agree. For me personally, what gets me up in the morning and makes me excited about my company and to continue to grow it is when we see users and customers deriving that personal value, being able to tell their stories. Um, for example, like some of the content I'm most proud of on our 
platform is from our Indigenous partners. So we have quite a few in Ontario and across Canada. Um, and, and it's really interesting because we let them tell their stories their way, and that really matters to them. So they can use Driftscape, and you know, for example, in Kimikon in Northern Ontario, Manitoulin, they have a tour um, on some on some of their their lands, and they're able to actually say at each stop on the tour, they can have a bit of uh, audio track in their native language that describes things like the flower that's there or the lake, and so it's a way to explore their language, a little bit of their culture. To be able to provide a platform to let communities that otherwise can't tell their stories uh, because, you know, a search engine or Facebook is going to pollute it with ads and just, you know, only promote, you know, the big things like the CN Towers. We don't have a point of interest for the CN Tower. We don't need one. (laughs) Um, That's what makes me happy. You know, when users give us good reviews, when our customers say, well, this is a cool tool and a great way for me, for us to tell our story. Um, outside of a normal marketing and advertising venue at a very affordable price. That's what makes me excited when people actually use it. I um, I mean, you could make a mint just with communities and actual pronunciations. I love that indigenous communities are putting um, proper street names. I love it, yeah. but good luck pronouncing it. You know, call it for what it is. And I've said this to some of my friends that live in those communities. I'm like, yeah, but you know what you need? You need a translation guide. Like, how am I supposed to find my way through this, right. you know, it'd be amazing is if I was driving and I could say here, turn here, and it would tell me how to pronounce it properly. That'd be great because then I can actually communicate with you, you know, how I feel is appropriate when I come to your town. Like, this would be great. But so, you know, this creates those opportunities like that. And that's nothing but a street sign. That's right. Yeah, thank you. That that it, it is exciting to be able to let them communicate the culture that a lot of people just wouldn't know otherwise and keep it alive. Mm-hmm. Very cool stuff. All right, so where do we go? What does everyone need to do to uh, find this out? Because I have found, for example, the Buxton Museum. If you go there, there's a little insert window where you can see all of the Driftscape you know, connections and buttons that you can push. But where does everybody go to figure this out? Yeah, uh, the easiest way is on your phone, iOS, Android. Just go to the store and search. One word, Drift. Escape, and you'll find your app and just download it, install it, run it. All right. Um, that's all you have to do. From there, it'll just ask you a few questions to onboard you. You don't need a user account. We don't sell user information. We have a very strict privacy policy. We don't have to do any of that stuff because our customers are ultimately paying us to, to put their content on right. our platform. So we can avoid all that ugly stuff. Um, that's all there is to it. Uh, there is a web version. Our customers will embed it into their websites and it stands alone, but really most people will use the mobile app and it has more features. For example, if you're using the mobile app, even when the app's not running, if you're driving along, walking along and you get near an interesting point of interest, it'll pop up a notification says, Hey, you're near such and such. Would you like to open Driftscape? Tap on it and you go. Obviously the website can't do that. The web version, the mobile version can do that. It had augmented reality mode, of course, doesn't work in the web version. Um, so yeah, <laughs> holding up your it, desktop. Yeah, yeah. Right, like- <laughs> Ooh, that's a lot of fun. Um, so, uh, in that sense, our mobile app, you know, it was the first thing we built, yeah. and then we added the web version afterwards. That's pretty cool because if you take a tour in the mobile version, it's exactly the same in the web version. Right. It works exactly the same way. You do the same stuff. Well, and in today's world of maybe not being able to go on quite as many trips in the next six months or year. After not going mm-hmm. on trips, you know, a little chance to take a little escape vacation on your lunch break at home too, which is kind of cool uh, or when you're yeah. at work. So it's pretty cool. Uh, Dan, I really appreciate you being here. This is fascinating stuff. Dan Pronovo is with Driftscape. 
And uh, this is cool. I look forward to checking it out. Thank you. Appreciate your time. This is the Shift Podcast. It is Bruce Claggett in for Shane. Are you a big fan of reality TV shows? What about Big Brother? Big Brother Canada now into season number, yeah, hard to believe, season number 11. Well, we do have uh, a guest that was a house guest on season number four, and that was Maddie Pavel. You may have remembered her for her, well, rather controversial Two things, actually, are controversial uh, showmance, they call it. Yeah, that is a thing. And also, uh, for kind of her strategy, kind of her abilities to kind of, um, oh, how do I put it politely, scheme around things on Big Brother. Here's a little clip of some of that. (laughs) But that's what I'm saying, is that you guys need to stop thinking clearly on physical competitors and start looking at the social people in this game. Exactly. And what so, is my social game? That you guys all hate me? We've looked at, especially this group of people, since the beginning, who do we want to be around and who do we want to surround ourselves in this game? Right. So that is something there with your social game. But that's not that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying like, oh my god, okay, if you guys all want to play on that personal level and you guys don't want me around in the house, fine. You guys look like the assholes. I don't. Because you guys are playing personal and you guys if you guys are like oh i want my sanity you know let's kick maddie out because she makes me insane fine okay well excuse the language some of it uh you know it's a little bit late and it got a whole lot worse than that let me tell you um but that is maddie pavel and maddie pavel was on season number four had a chance to talk with her a little bit about uh you know what's real what's not and uh what is the game for those who are the uninitiated what is the game and what is the real game maddie pavel right um So it's kind of like Survivor. Most people have seen Survivor, I would say. It's like Survivor, but inside of a house. So you've still got the challenges. You've got jury. You've got trial kind of idea um, of, you know, getting rid of someone, advancing your game, making friends, not making friends, um, that kind of idea. So you're kind of going through the motions, getting to know people, competitions, um, you know, even like nights where you get to like all have a dinner together and chat and it's just, yeah, <laughs> it's a and lot. You say making friends and not making friends. I think uh, most of us are familiar. They follow Big Brother with uh, that whole scenario, but there's some strategy involved. What do we need to know? I mean, there is definitely strategy, like a hundred percent. I I'm not the epitome of the strategy, so I'm not a good example, but there definitely is strategy to the game. I will say there is almost little to no, I mean, editing really, like there is editing, but um, it's filmed 24-7 live. So people can tune in on their laptop, on their phone and watch live feeds and see what you're up to, see what you're talking about. So I mean, they can't really edit that much. So. No, but there was that showmance, I guess we call it, right? Uh, with yes. you and Ramsey. So yeah. how does that type of thing evolve? In real life, it doesn't evolve that easily. So what's going no. on there? Well, when you're stuck in a house with, you know, 
at first 17 people and they slowly dwindle down, you get very, very close to those people. Whether you have, you, you don't have a choice. Like these are the people that you're going to spend the next, you know, 80 days with, like you might as well get to know them. So you just get stuck in this, like, this is your world now. Big brother's your world. Big brother house is the people that you see every day. You eat breakfast with them. You have dinner with them, activities, workout, whatever. And you're going through this like weird experience together. So you kind of just have deeper conversations. So they just happen so much quicker and yeah, it's very escalated. (laughs) You must have some inner dialogue with yourself, constantly evaluating the people around you on a much more hyper scale than in real life. For sure. Yeah. You definitely are overthinking every interaction you have in the house versus in real life. You're just going with emotions and, you know, walking your dog and going to the grocery store. But in the house, you're constantly thinking about what people are doing. Where are they in the house? Who are they talking about? What are they scheming? Yeah. (laughs) So tell me about what you look for. If you were to say a a really good partner for you, what would you look for outside of the show? Describe that person. Um, I guess someone that's, I don't know, close with their family, someone that's physically active, good head on their shoulders, good job, happy. Honestly, it doesn't take much. Like someone who's just a good person, they're happy and you know, they are very empathetic, pretty much. <laughs> and honest, I would imagine. Yes. Okay, yes. so let's get back Ideally. to the show. Right. Now, in Big Brother Canada, sometimes honesty is hard to detect. What are you looking for with those criteria that you just described? What was season four like? How did you go about kind of figuring people out? That's such a good question. I don't even know to this day. <laughs> um, yeah, you really try your best not to trust everyone, but you do want to trust them to an extent because you want them to trust you. Right. So it's a bit of yeah, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a whirlwind because you're like, I don't know who to fully trust. Do I want to trust them halfway? Do I want to give them everything? I want them to give me everything, but I'm not someone who's very I can't fake it for too long which is my downfall. So I can't fake trust someone. (laughs) I either do or I don't. So downfall in real life or downfall in the show? In the show. In the show. Yeah. Is there anything that you actually can learn from the show and that you took into real life afterwards when it comes to people? Because you're dealing with people all the time. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I think I took in... Out of the experience, I really understood that, you know, as much as you are overthinking constantly in the house, you're always like on edge and like kind of thinking, who's talking about you? What are they saying? I really understood that in real life, like that you need to calm down. Like that doesn't happen. Like you need to, you need to care less what people think about you and just kind of, you know, do you and be happy and whatever that means, do that. But in the house, it's so amplified because you are always like thinking about what other people think of you because you want to be everyone's friend so right. that you don't get affected. <laughs> but I don't know. I would say that's what I've learned the most. And also just like be nicer to people. I feel like I just learned that being so on edge with people and not trusting them fully, even in the house, and then taking that outside is not a very good mindset. Like just be or nicer viewer. to people. 
in reality yeah. TV show, whether it's Big Brother or a different type of reality show, when you're either evicted or kicked off the island or whatever it is, you see the pain in somebody's yes. expression and it's a big deal. Was that actually painful, being evicted? Is that kind of real? <laughs> Do you know it's coming? Uh, I mean... All these shows make it look like it's this really dramatic thing that's happened to you. Oh my God, it's the tears. It's the worst thing that's ever happened. I think in that moment for a minute, you're like, this is the worst thing ever. But then you look back and you're like, who really cares? Like this was a once in a lifetime opportunity to go on the show. I didn't win. Did I really think I was going to win? Maybe, but not really like <laughs> i don't know so yeah i mean i was upset for sure but i immediately was over it as soon as like five minutes go by and i was like all right well it is what it is <laughs> now we've been into casting for season 11 uh, what's your advice for those people that are going into the show what should they really know i think that they should really understand that production may not be on your side People always think, I'm going to be myself and I'll get cast. And to an extent, for sure. However, production has an agenda, obviously. They have certain people they want to cast. They have certain people that they think would go well together, people that wouldn't go well together. It has nothing really to do with just being yourself versus how can they make you what they want. You can so be would the they set you up to world. fail or set others up to, like, how, how does that kind of work? I know you're, mm-hmm. I'm asking you about some of the trade secrets here, but uh, totally. um, there must I, be some of that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, am I going to say they, they manipulate everyone into being who they want? Probably not. But yeah. I'm sure that there's people that they are like, yes, you, you're going to, you're going to be the villain or like, you're going to be the nice girl. You're going to be the really hot cowboy. I don't know, whatever it is. Like, I feel like each reality show kind of has a stereotype of the person that they're trying to fill. And so they can either go with it or they can't, like, I have no idea. Like for me, obviously they looked at me and they were like, you have attitude. You're the villain. Yep. (laughs) Sold. So, Maddie, do you have attitude? Are you a villain? I I definitely think I have attitude for sure. Okay. Am I a villain? I don't think so. I think that was completely amplified. And half of the scenes that made me look like a complete, you know, bitch, I, a lot of those people I had pretty good relationships with. Like, we would talk, you know, until like late hours. Like, we were friends. We'd talk about things at home. Like, I don't know. Like, we were friends. They just made it seem in certain moments that I hated that person when I, in reality, I didn't really hate them. Do you keep up with any of them? Still have contact yeah. with them? Um, yeah. My season was interesting because all of us just completely went off the map. <laughs> so I would say I'm civil. And if I ran into the, any, any of them on the street, I would love to chat with them. And I still talk to Ramsey, who was like my, you know, quote unquote showman's like, he's a good friend of mine. Yeah. So I do keep up with quite a few of them, but a lot of us are just doing our own thing. Like we're so, we're so, you know, we're not the OGs anymore. We're so dated. <laughs> we're not relevant. So <laughs> we Well, okay. And thing. that brings me to the, my final question for you. Um, we're on to season 11. You were season four. Uh, you say you're so dated now, but how has life been 
after Big Brother Canada. What are some of the impacts in your life and how has it changed? Sometimes, I mean, five years ago, you know, I get it's been seven years. So five years ago, it's kind of cool. You're like, wow, I'm a D-list celebrity. Like people know who you are. They know your name. Did you say D-list? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, So... I don't know. It's, it's a cool experience. People want to get to know you. People want to chat with you, take photos with you. It's very exciting. You know, you get a lot of like brand partnerships and stuff, which is yeah. cool. But now since I'm not relevant, when the odd person is like, oh my gosh, you were my brother. It makes me feel very nostalgic. I'm like, oh, I was. I for- you, Sometimes I forget about it. It's very cool. I think my life since the show is now it's gone back to completely normal. And I don't even think about it half the time. Does but, it come up you know, in your professional life? Constantly, yes. How does that happen? How does that play out? I mean, if I was an employer, I'd probably Google my newest tire. You know, you Google Maddie, and like the second thing that comes up is like Maddie Pavel, Big Brother Canada 4. So <laughs> can't really avoid it. <laughs> what do you think the future is for you? Would you do it again? Would you go into. Th- a show like this or any other reality-based show? I have a few friends that were also on reality TV and it's really hard to, none of them seem to really have a positive outlook. However, I would really love to come back and get like my name kind of cleared and get a bit of revenge and show them who I am really. So you still I mean, have that attitude. Kind of, yeah. I'm like, if they were to ask me tomorrow, like, hey, do you want to come back for a revenge season or All-Stars or whatever? Probably think about it. But yeah, I would I would be leaning towards yes, for sure. Like, why not? A revenge <laughs> season. I love that. I don't know. Hey, yeah. Maddie, thank you so much for chatting with us. I appreciate your time. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. This is the Shift Podcast. And it is Bruce Plankett in for Shane. Shane's going to be probably back tomorrow. Yeah, we're hoping for the best. We, you know, all like to boast a little bit, you know, strutter stuff, especially those of us in the media, maybe show a little bit of swagger, especially when it comes to those things that we're really proud of. Well, that is certainly also the case in the world of marketing where competing and making a profit, name of the game. And when it comes to packages or labels on foods and supplements, even medications, one knows of many a claim that seems very, very good, perhaps a little too good. But, and this is a big but, there are rules. There are regulatory bodies that enforce those rules, and sometimes there are those who watch the claims for whether they are in fact truthful or stretching things a little bit too far. But where does free speech end and the rules begin? Well, our guest is a Frank Stanton professor of First Amendment law at Harvard Law School. That means she does know a few things about this. Rebecca Tushner joins us on The Shift. Professor, you can't just claim anything on a label or package, can you? 
Well, uh, the the line is between things that are basically provable or, as I like to call it, falsifiable. That is, if you can prove it to be false uh, and and it is false, you can't say it. So best is actually probably OK uh, in uh, the U.S. and in Canada, although not in China, interestingly enough. Uh, they don't like stuff that you can't prove, whereas most of the world uh, draws the line at if it can be proved false um, if you can't prove it right so uh, if it's if it's something that could be proved but you can't show uh, so if you say we're the most popular radio show you would have to be ready to prove that if the regulators came knocking does it get into a situation where you have to be so precise or can you be general with a statement and just leave it there so the way regulators think about it is, uh, are you going to uh, basically mislead people by starting to talk and then not giving them enough information? Uh, so the general ru- rule is, uh, if you start to say something, right, and then people could be misled to, to think, for example, it's the most popular in the province, uh, then you should clarify Right. So having started talking, uh, you need to give them the full picture. So my favorite example here is actually uh, four out of five dentists who have a preference recommend Crest. And that's because most dentists say, you know, if it's got fluoride in it, you're doing fine. Um, and so the in general, the regulators want you to say, OK, uh, give the consumer a little bit of a signal about what we're talking about here. So the idea is four out of five dentists who have a preference at least tells you like that's actually a subset. It's not four out of five of all dentists. Now, tell me about this interesting case involving spaghetti. So this is a case against a company that claims to make Italy's favorite pasta. Uh, and the challenger says, you know, uh, that suggests that it is actually from Italy. But in fact, it's not made in Italy. Uh, and so even though the idea of a favorite pasta might not itself be provable, what, what it's suggesting is, uh, uh, you know, maybe it's uh, that it's made in Italy uh, and uh, sold in Italy because only then could it really be Italy's favorite pasta. And if it's not made in Italy, then it, then it's misleading, not about the favorite part, but about the Italy part. And this case is real. It ended up in actual action, didn't it? Yes. Um, so a court denied a motion to dismiss, which basically just means that the, uh, the complainant is going to get a chance to make his case uh, to prove whether, in fact, uh, uh, lots of reasonable consumers uh, would be fooled, too. Or maybe they wouldn't be. Maybe they wouldn't. Uh, but so we don't know what's going to happen right now. They just get a chance to go forward and see what the evidence shows. When you start taking a look at some of these uh, cases, they must be very expensive. Well, I think of from a marketing world, you put a lot of money into labels, into uh, campaigns around products. And if you go ahead with a certain idea and present your product a certain way without getting some legal approval or advice, you could end up uh, in a very expensive mistake. Um, am I right with uh, assuming that? Are we seeing that uh, in countries in your own country, in the United States, uh, but also in Canada? So uh, to a certain extent, so of course, uh, you know, I have a structural incentive to say, yes, of course, you should always uh, check with a lawyer. Um, that helps us stay in business. Uh, but also, you know, th- uh, the basic rule isn't that hard, right? Uh, tell the truth. The temptation, of course, is always to say, 
okay, well, from one perspective, we're telling the truth. And that's the thing that gets in, people in trouble, where it's from one perspective, but they don't tell you what that perspective is, right? They don't give you enough information to, to know. Um, and so, uh, you know, I don't ultimately know whether this is going to be Italy's favorite pasta. Maybe, in fact, a whole bunch of it is, you know, imported into Italy, and it's fair to call it Italy's favorite <laughs> pasta. Um, but uh, it's the kind of thing that, yeah, you should uh, think to yourself, okay, you know, if someone came to me and said, prove it, of the things that are provable, could I prove uh, the, the things that I'm claiming? So those um, claims have to be quantified at some uh, level, I would imagine. So so there is this idea of uh, puffery, which is puffery is when uh, you uh, are saying something that is neither true nor false, right? Because it's so subjective, because there's no consensus on what it would even mean to be the best or the favorite. So if you want to say, you know, this is the best tasting pasta since your grandma made it by hand, uh, you can basically sur- uh, go ahead and do that if you're not in China. Um and that'll be fine. Uh, but if you say, you know, uh, you know, we win the taste tests, then you've got to have some taste tests that you won. Right. right. Okay. Even if you set up your own taste tests and then uh, uh, kind of rig it that way, your own contest, your own approving authority. So again, you know, there's some wiggle room, right? Because uh, so so uh, so uh, you can try, uh, you can set up a taste test. If it's representative, then you can probably tell its results, even if there's some other taste test, you know, that you didn't win. Um, on the other hand, if you have a taste test among your employees uh, and they say it's the best, no regulator is going to be very happy with that. Because, again, like right. there's some facts there that if, if people knew them, they would say that's not a really good taste test. Uh, <laughs> you know, all of this is fine and taste is OK. And when it comes down to some of those claims about best, it comes uh, more from our passions. But there is that other serious side of uh, health food and health claims and even products that contain things or um, people taking different products, thinking they're going to have a certain outcome. That gets pretty serious, doesn't it? How far along are we into being very careful with regulations with that? So uh, it's absolutely the case that uh, there uh, that, you know, health claims and claims about, you know, what you should be putting in your body um are things where you want to be very careful. And unfortunately, in the U.S., the regulatory scheme is very messed up. And I would say the average U.S. consumer has no idea about this. Um, in particular, the, uh, in the U.S., we actually have very minimal regulation of supplements. So, you know, people can make the claims for, you know, uh, joint supplements or, you know, heart health supplements that you really couldn't make for anything else. And, and people understandably don't know that there's a big difference. So, if you take a statin, for example, right. for heart health, that's something that's gone through a very rigorous review process. It's a pharmaceutical, uh, you know, it's a prescription drug. Uh, the FDA has looked at the evidence very carefully and agreed, yes, statins are good for people who have these conditions. Whereas if you take a heart health supplement, you know, off the, the shelf at the CVS or, um, you know, the, the claims that they make, they, they can't be false, but the government has the burden to prove that they're false, as opposed to for the statins, the producers actually had to go and convince the regulator, yes, uh, that's right. You know, this shows a measurable benefit and Uh and people with this condition should be taking it. And it's a very confusing situation. It's understandable 
that most people don't know that uh, you know the standards are completely different, and, and it, I think it has led to pretty serious problems in the U.S. under uh, some circumstances. Um, so you know we have a, a kind of very regulated city, which is you know the drugs your doctor would prescribe you, and then this wild west uh, where people can make pretty fanciful claims. Uh, and I think that's a very serious problem um, uh, that, you know, it would be better if the U.S. did a better job on. Uh, and, you know, it's 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 somewhat unusual. Most other countries are not are not don't have that big of a divide. Um, but of course, uh, you know, the U.S. is a big enough market that people tend to try and move, you know, uh, if, if they can do it in the U.S., they often feel like, well, shouldn't I be able to do it everywhere else, too? Right. So, uh from my understanding from what you're saying you almost have these two verticals um the pharmaceutical very regulated food not so much and a little bit more of the wild west as you would say when it comes to that area is there a gray area where one tries to move into the other and say yeah we kind of fall under more food don't worry about it it's a food product yeah. So, so actually, uh, food is actually a third thing. The oh, regime for food okay. is different still than for supplements. So, food is sort of in the middle. Um, but it, it's absolutely right that uh, you know people do try and fiddle around with this at the margins. So, with pharmaceuticals, because the process is so rigorous, there's really very little wiggle room there. But um, sometimes, uh, so Palm Wonderful, if you've ever encountered their pomegranate juice products, right. so they invested a lot of money in promoting the. Uh, the idea that pomegranates were uh, specially healthy fruit. Um, and they made some pretty significant claims about, you know, it would be able to prevent your heart attacks. And uh, interestingly enough, eventually the Federal Trade Commission in the U.S. Uh, said, look, you got to stop doing this. Your evidence is nothing like good enough. But they actually said, you know, uh, it's a little different than a drug or a supplement because at least, you know, it tastes good, right? There is, so <laughs> there's a reason to buy the stuff that isn't just to, you know, improve your heart health. So we want to be a little looser on the requirements for that as opposed to, you know, you wouldn't take a statin to enjoy yourself. Are there big differences uh, between Canada and the United States? Do you know of uh, any of those? So uh, I would say uh, the formal rules are actually pretty much the, uh, the same from uh, the regulator's perspective in both countries, the the general rule, and like I said, not the rule for supplements, unfortunately, um, but the general rule is uh, called uh, substantiation. When you make a claim that could be true or false, like uh, you know, most popular in the province, then you have to have substantiation to back it up. And when the regulator comes knocking, you say, here it is. Right. Uh, and right. so and then hopefully they're satisfied and they go away. Um, and the the issue is uh, of difference is some some of it is down to size. Right. Uh, and the different resources that the regulators have. But the basic rule is actually something that most countries share, which is, you know, don't make claims without having something in your hand to back them up. Don't just have hope. Uh, don't just guess. Um, you know, if you're saying something that uh, that is factual, then make sure that you know what you're talking about. What's the direction that we're going in? Are we going toward more regulation, less regulation? Uh, generally speaking, top level down? 
So I have to say, you know, from a U.S. perspective, I would say uh, we are going in the direction of greater unpredictability, in part uh, because so much in the U.S. is now politicized in ways that weren't true, you know, even four years ago uh, about uh, even, you know, supplements. So uh, if you've been uh, following any of the things about, uh, for example, the big uh, defamation verdict against Alex Jones, it turns out, you know, he's using his platform, uh, you know, to sell a bunch of supplements. Right. This is so uh, it's crazy. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I would say that that the U.S. is getting more chaotic, whereas uh, for, from the outside, Canada seems to be basically holding the course. Um, and uh, uh, hopefully we can take a little bit of guidance from that model because, you know, the, the regulators came to the idea of substantiation through a lot of tragedies. A lot of bad mm. things happened before we got the modern regulatory regime and it can't stop everything, but it can it can, you know, decrease the chances that things will go horribly wrong. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, 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 I strongly hope we'll continue uh, to be, you know, uh, reasonably aggressive when people make things like health claims. That's Harvard uh, University professor Rebecca Tushner, law professor at Harvard. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 